Good evening and welcome to the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber's 2023 St. Joseph City Commission Candidate Forum, hosted in partnership with News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. I'm Johnny Reinhardt, Program Director for 94.9 WSJM for Midwest Family Southwest Michigan, and I'll be co-moderating tonight's event alongside Arthur Havlicek, President and CEO of the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber of Commerce. Before we get started, we'd like to welcome those in attendance here at the Shadowland Ballroom, as well as those tuning in live on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM-FM, on our Facebook, as well as our YouTube, and on WSJM.com and our WSJM app, or on demand via podcast. We'd also like to acknowledge the support received from our friends and chief engineer, Terry Green, who made the technical magic on the back end possible for folks to, to listen at home. And also, shout out to Zach East and Ken Lundberg for running our, uh, our live stream as well. And big thank you to uh, all of those that are uh, watching and, and listening, maybe at home as well. Thank you also to the Shadowland Ballroom for graciously serving as the venue for tonight's event and to Silver Beach Pizza, who will be providing the appetizers for the networking portion that follows this forum. Right. Arthur, why don't you tell us, uh, tell everyone what to expect this evening? Thank you, Johnny, and thank you to WSJM, Shadowland, and all who've partnered with us to make uh, today's public service possible. As a voice for business in the region, the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber has a responsibility to communicate where those seeking public office stand on matters important to our members and our community. We take this obligation seriously, which is why we're pleased to host yet another candidate forum for the St. Joseph City Commission race. Much like in 2021, this election has six candidates, including one incumbent, vying for three open seats. The top two vote-getters in November will be elected to four-year terms, and the candidate with the third most votes will get a two-year term. This race will change the complexion of the five-member nonpartisan council, including determining who the mayor will be now that Mayor Laura Goose is no longer seeking re-election. I saw the mayor in the back. Let's take a moment and thank her for her service. Candidates, tonight we're going to ask you a series of questions compiled by our team at the Chamber in concert with the WSJM News team. You'll be afforded one minute to answer each question, and we will be determining the response order by random drawing throughout the night. The questions will be difficult. Your response times are short. We're going to ask follow-up questions if additional clarification is needed. So listen carefully, answer concisely, and try to differentiate yourselves respectfully from your opponents. Out of respect for the candidates' time and for those listening live on WSJM or on Facebook Live, we do ask that the audience refrain from applause until the conclusion of the event. With that, we're going to get started with one-minute introductions uh, into your background and an elevator pitch as to why voters should support your candidacy. Let's get started. And we'll start with uh, Michael Fernandez. Good evening. Uh, my name is Michael Fernandez. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and to be considered as a candidate for the St. Joseph City Commission. Uh, my wife and I have lived in St. Joe for seven years, and, and we chose St. Joe chiefly because it's, it's where we wanted to raise our family. There was a, a lot of things that were attractive for, for my wife and I, you know, from the beaches, the downtown area, proximity to a lot of activities that we liked, but nothing was more important than uh, the the school systems and the opportunities that uh, this community offers to raise our family. Um, you know, in my free time, what, what little of, of that there is having four children, um, I like to coach flag football, uh, baseball, and I'm, I'm heavily involved in coaching young kids, including my own in our community. 
and uh, it, it's my devotion to you know the children and the future of this community that's really what I want you to know is why I'm running and want you to consider me uh, I'm committed to making St. Joe a place for all families and, and all stages of their life to live and grow um, new families to come move here and enjoy the things that we as the residents here love um, you know and and as we age I want it to be a good place to, to grow old as well so thank you for considering me thank you Michael and next up we'll have Chris Lanner uh, good evening uh, my name is Chris Lannert. Uh, I uh, live here. I uh, grew up here. I moved here in uh, second grade. I went to uh, St. Joe Catholic uh, School when my dad was uh, employed at uh, Whirlpool. Uh, graduated from St. Joe High. I went on to uh, Michigan State. Uh, then went on to my professional career in uh, landscape architecture, urban and regional planning and entitlements over in the Chicagoland area. Uh, but started buying my first uh, properties here back in town about 25 uh, years ago and I moved here permanently about six years ago. I uh, lived down on the uh, beach and so I've uh, participated uh, with all of the stuff that's uh, gone on there. Uh, I really think that the reason that I want to be elected is that um, I have a lot that I think I can offer to improve the city. Uh, we don't have much to improve here. We're starting with a, a great place uh, already. Uh, but I think that we can get a little bit you know, better. Uh, my background and uh, experience allows me to be able to point out some of the low-hanging fruit uh, that we sometimes uh, you know, walk by, and I'm looking forward to doing that and uh, working Thank with you, our Mr. staff. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. And next up, Sean Osborne. <clears throat> Good evening. My name is Sean Osborne. Born and raised here in St. Joe. Grew up in a little subdivision off of Lincoln Avenue. Moved away a couple times, and uh, actually just the beauty of the city and that lake right out there, that, that puddle, they just it, it, there's something magical about it. It's brought me back every time. Growing up in the city, I spent time as a firefighter for Central Township. Moving on later, uh, I, I became a police officer, served for three different communities. So I have a call for public service. Uh, I just love to serve my community. I spent 18 and a half years with one of the major phone carriers as a network engineer. So I understand technology, uh, staffing, uh, budgets. Um, so I just, I, I love this city. I just have this, this desire to serve. So I figure if I can't be a cop anymore, might as well uh, see if I can become a commissioner and help that way. Thank you. Next up, Brooke Thomas. Thank you. My name is Brooke Thomas and I am one of your current city commissioners. I was elected two years ago and I've loved every minute of it. I've tried to do as much as I could to be involved with any aspect of the city that I can. I've attended numerous conferences, meetings, trainings. Um, I've met with various residents and leaders both in and outside of St. Joe because I think having those connections in and around your city is very important um, just to kind of know what's going on both in your city and around it. Uh, I am from the area. I spent most of my adult life in and around St. Joe. I attended Lakeshore High School, and then I obtained both my master's and bachelor's degrees from Grand Valley State University in social work. I currently work at the Children's Advocacy Center of Southwest Michigan, where I forensically interview child victims of uh, sexual and physical abuse. So I work alongside law enforcement, the prosecutor's office, and other agencies in our area to assist in those um, roles. I think I'd be a great asset to continue on the commission because I'm hardworking and I'm ready to do what needs to be done to get this, the job done. Thank you. And Tess Ulrey. Hi, I'm Tess Ulrey. I have lived in St. Joseph since 2016. I was a renting resident in Precinct 1 then, and I'm a current renting resident in Precinct 2 right now. Um, I, have, um, I have two daughters right now who are both um, enrolled in St. Joe Public Schools. I'm a strong supporter of our partnership with, with the public schools, and one of the reasons that I too chose to live in St. Joseph. I ran for City Commission back in 2021 as well, and some things have stayed the same. 
I'm still just as progressive as I was then. I'm still a renting resident, and I'm still um, dedicated to improving the diversity and inclusion work that leaders like Brooke have forwarded in the commission. Since then, though, I've, um, I I've grown in my role at the Boys and Girls Club, and at the Boys and Girls Club, I've learned a lot about federal and state funding in particular, and some of the partnerships and resources that come when we work within those systems. In addition to that, I've become very involved with the Berrien County Democratic Party, and while I understand and acknowledge the importance of nonpartisan roles, I also think it's important to remain aligned on some of those values. Thank, thank you. you. And lastly, David Yardley. First of all, I'd like to thank WSJM and the Southwest Regional Chamber of Commerce for hosting this. Uh, you know, no matter who you vote for out of the six of us, uh, you have uh, six dedicated people up here who really want to make a difference. So I'm David Yardley. Uh, I've been a lifelong resident of Berrien County, attended River Valley High School. I'm a graduate of the Michigan Political Leadership Program at Michigan State University. I've worked in the state legislature previously for a state representative and then for um, a caucus in Lansing. Um, currently, I am the district liaison for Senator Jonathan Lindsay, who just won election this last year. Um, I work for Harbor Country, Cham or <laughs> Harbor Country Mission um, in Bridgman. Uh, we provide um, services and um, support to low-income residents throughout the three-county area. So I've got a diverse background as far as bringing together people, um, helping um, assist people, and would like your vote. Thank you. Candidates, as you may recall, in 2021, the last time several of you ran, a group of over 50 business leaders signed on to a letter to the city asking for better communication, better flexibility, and a better working relationship between the city and its businesses. Do you believe there's been a tangible improvement on this front in the years since? If so, how? And if not, what specifically do you think still needs to change? And yeah, the first person that has a chance to answer this is Tess Ulry. Thank you. So when I first moved to St. Joseph, um, my role was actually with St. Joseph today. That was an incredible way to get to know the business community here, um, and honestly, kind of a kind of a crash course in exactly what small business was here here on the lakefront. My um, my experiences and the people that I still know and support at, that, that still operate those businesses downtown is that improvement definitely has um, improvement definitely has been made in some of that communication. My understanding from them and a conversation that I'd love to keep forwarding is how we can continue to update some of the zoning regulations and laws that were put into place longer ago than may still be accurate. So I think that the commission has done a great job in moving some of that communication forward, but my understanding is there is still some improvement to be made, but all in good faith on both sides. Thank you. And the next person that has a chance to answer this is Chris Lanner. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, I did run also and was very much aware of this uh, issue that uh, existed. Uh, as you can see on uh, my uh, information, uh, there is a perception out there that it's uh, St. Charles no attitude. And by that I mean that in many cases, while our staff is uh, capable and while our staff certainly is helpful, uh, they tend to live pretty much in their individual silos and there's not enough blending of information between the departments. And as a result of that, uh, many of our uh, customers, our potential remodelers or builders, uh, end up having a difficult difficulty uh, working through some of our ordinances. Uh, in all justification to our uh, staff, uh, the ordinances are somewhat um, lacking in terms of their clarity, and so we're challenging our employees, uh, our staff, uh, to work with ordinances that don't have the answers that they're looking for. So I think uh, one of the things that we can do is contemporize uh, some of our ordinances by adjusting uh, them and having a little bit more of a can-do uh, attitude. Thank you. Uh, and real quick, Mr. Lanner, could you bring that microphone just a little closer to you? Wonderful, thank you. Uh, 
Your next uh, candidate that has a chance to answer that question is Michael Fernandez. You have one minute. Yeah, I think that uh, you know there's been a lot of development in the last couple of years. Um, I didn't run myself. This is my first candidacy, um, you know, for this office. But as I talk to people on the doors, you know, while I've been canvassing and talk to business owners in the city, um, you know, there, there's a desire, uh, and I think the the obstacles are, you know, what a couple of folks have mentioned is, you know, some of the ordinances. And I think what it's going to take to overcome that is being willing to have an open mind and look at some of these ordinances that you know may have made sense at the time, but updating them to what our current businesses need to do, um, you know, uh, to to run their operations and then develop for the future so I think um, having an open mind and, and being able to rework some of those to the things that make sense today thank you and next up Sean Osborne you have one minute thank you Jeez, uh, I'm, I'm, so there's there's always room to improve with anything and from what I'm gathering from some of the small businesses I've, I've talked to about things that there's still a lack of communication between the city and the local businesses they some of them don't feel their their voices are being heard some of them don't understand the process in dealing with some of these situations so I feel that we really need to find a way to open up that line of communication between our businesses and the, the, the Commission along with our staff um, and and really kind of come together as a community and help each other because without the business we're just you know we're not the flourishing city that we see. We've lost too many businesses already for different reasons, and we need to really look at this and as a whole and work together. Thank you. And next person to answer the question, Brooke Thomas. Thank you. Uh, before I was elected to the commission, uh, the, the city was working on ways to improve improve their relationship with local businesses. They were holding public meetings um, and trying to listen to the concerns that were uh, in existence. Um, and I went to those meetings and I was listening to what the concerns were and then after being elected I did go to as many downtown businesses as I could to just introduce myself, pass out my card and say we're here to listen. What's working? What's not working? Um, and so from my experience I feel like the relationship has improved over time. One of the things we did as a commission was we hired an assistant city manager who was able to spend a lot more time improving those relationships with our downtown businesses. Um, one of the things that we approved was a facade grant program, um, also a public space activation program that has been just one way to work with our local businesses to show that we're listening, we care, we want to help improve your businesses. Um, there's always room for improvement, but that was just a couple of ways that we were able to assist the, our businesses. Thank you. And lastly, uh, David Yardley, you have one minute. All right, thank you. Um, communication can always be improved. Uh, one of the things that I've done over my lifetime has been a communications consultant for chambers of commerce, businesses, and other organizations. Uh, we need to utilize the technology that we have available uh, to continue to upgrade the website. I mean, there's some fantastic examples of websites that exist that are available 24-7 for people who don't work you know, there aren't available during normal business hours. We have to look for alternative ways of um, engaging our businesses. Uh, they are our, our main tax base after uh, real estate. So we need to look at that. We need to make sure that uh, the business community is an integral part of what's happening in business and what's happening with the city in regard to that. Um, zoning and regulations are always going to be an issue, especially when there's, um, as uh, Mr. Lannert said, they're not clear definitions of what they are. So we need to improve that and educate the business community thank, thank you. you next question Arthur keeping with the topic of the city's role as it relates to businesses there is 
legislation currently moving through the Michigan State, State Legislature that would give Michigan's 1,800 plus units of local government permission to enact their own rules and regulations governing private employers' relationships with their employees. This means St. Joseph could set a minimum wage higher than the state's minimum, set paid or unpaid leave time and other fringe benefits, set regulations on work stoppages or strikes, and more. Do you agree things like minimum wage and job benefits should be set by local units of government? If you are in support, what employment policies would you seek to enact locally and oversee as a city commissioner? And the first person that has a chance to answer that question is Michael Fernandez. Michael, you have one minute. Yeah, I think uh, the ability to have local control over things such as minimum wage and other you know, the other things you, that you mentioned, uh, it allows us the flexibility to, you know, for all of our different communities throughout the state to set those things for things that make sense, you know, wages that make sense uh, for the standard of living in their community. Having one blanket, you know, state minimum wage doesn't make sense everywhere. So I would absolutely support, um, you know, us having the ability to set that minimum wage to reflect what our, you know, living wages uh, are here in the city. So, thank you. Thank you. Next up, Chris Lanner, you have one minute. Well, that's an area that I don't think I'm uh, that uh, well vested in. Uh, I guess uh, from a personal standpoint, um, the communities are really not partners with the businesses, so I don't know how much uh, more uh, the communities are going to bring in terms of legislating for the various businesses uh, what those uh, particular wages uh, you know, might be. I think a more productive way would be to use the local control to improve the place uh, the community, uh, make it a desirable community so that people would be attracted to the area for the benefits that the area has, parks, schools, obviously our lake, and then have that be the impetus uh, you know, for the uh, various businesses uh, to negotiate uh, what those wages might be. Uh, but that's not really an area of my expertise. Thank you. And next person to have a chance to answer that is David Yardley. You have one minute. Thank you. Um, no, I'm opposed to the local um, minimum wage regulations. Um, our federal government bases that on a whole bunch of dynamics across the country. We don't need to have little fiefdoms around the state or around our community that have higher or lower wages. I mean, if, if Benton Harbor wanted to have a lower wage than what St. Joe was, we would have a loss of um, of employees and revenue. So we need to stick where we're supposed to be, and that's in administering city government. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, Sean Osborne, you have one minute. Thank you. Uh, I have to agree with Mr. Yardley. This is not something that would be within our lane. Uh, as David was saying, that the federal government does oversee a multitude of different uh, aspects to making and creating the minimum wage. Um, there, there's just, there would be, it would be so difficult to try to dictate, leaving it to each individual business. Uh, I, I just, I, it's not my lane. I haven't dealt with minimum wage in a long time, but I believe in a fair wage for for an honest day's work. I just, I just don't see how a small community could could manage this, uh, no matter what rules you put into place. Um, so I would be against that. Thank you. And next person has a chance to answer the question. Tess Olry, you have one minute. Yeah, I am strongly in support of the legislation that is currently moving through, um, moving through Michigan, specifically in regards to a prevailing wage. When we look at a prevailing wage, I understand that's scary to think about, but it is also our responsibility, especially as a community, to take care of the citizens of our community, and that living wage is a huge part of it. 
I'm not that far removed from living off minimum wage, and I definitely see the importance of our community in that type of prevailing wage. It's always a conversation, of course, between, between communities, and something like that doesn't necessarily alienate businesses, but it becomes a partnership, and it's something that's very important, I believe, for us to support as a, as a city commission. Thank you. And lastly, for this question, Brooke Thomas, you have one minute. Thank you. One of the things that I like to do as a commissioner is take a look at all sides of any kind of an issue. Um, so I would definitely take a look at this issue and look at the pros and the cons. One thing that I do want to keep in mind is that we want to make sure that the people who are providing our services and our, our workforce can afford to live in this city. Um, and I know that the prices of our homes and the rental prices are just creeping up and up. I do keep an eye on our uh, um, housing market and I, I see that the prices are going up. So um, we got to make sure that the people who live here can afford to be here. So if that means taking a look at some of these minimum wage uh, requirements, then that's something that we could do. Thank you. Arthur? Similar to the previous question, there is legislation being considered that would alter the regulation, enforcement, and revenue implications of short-term rentals, or STRs, for local communities. Currently, new STRs are only allowed in the Water Recreation District as a conditional use, and either conditional or special use in our three multiple-family residence districts. Broadly speaking, what is your stance on short-term rentals? Do you agree with the city's regulations as they stand today, or, there's, or are there specific changes you'd like to see regarding where they're allowed and how permits are approved? All right, the first person who has a chance to answer that is Chris Lannard. Chris, you have one minute. Uh, wow, a difficult uh, question. Uh, I first started buying properties uh, down by the beach in uh, about 25 uh, years ago, uh, so I understand the uh, short-term rental aspects. I still live in that you know, community presently and have uh, two full-time residents uh, in the uh, three units that I uh, still own. Uh, obviously, as a uh, planner and entitlement specialist, I think it's uh, absolutely imperative that the uh, local jurisdictions control the short-term rental uh, markets. Uh, they can set the places and they can set the terms and conditions uh, where those are appropriate or not. I think uh, our town has done a very good job in terms of designating those areas, obviously grandfathering in those ones that uh, existed prior to that uh, you know, time. I obviously have a little bit of a difference of opinion because I sit on the DDA uh, also and uh, we're looking right now at short-term rentals in the unoccupied existing units in the downtown and obviously I would support that from a downtown development authority perspective. Thank you. Next up, Tess Ulrey, you have one minute. I understand and acknowledge, and I love living in um, a lakefront community, and we need some of these short-term rentals here so that those people can come in, spend money in our restaurants, and spend money downtown. The flip side of that is I am a renter myself, and so bringing up the short-term rental, um, short rental conversation I think is, is relatively nuanced. I believe that within this conversation, we need to look at how many other rentals are available for, for families like myself who live here year-round, who have, who have kids in school, and who work in local businesses year-round as well. Right now, I do think that the city has done a good job of managing those short-term rentals. I think there's creative ways to work within short-term rentals as well, whether that's something that you live on the property or there's all these, all these ways to do it. However, I don't think that the city of St. Joseph needs more short-term rentals until we can figure out what's going on with those year-round rentals as well. Thank you. Next up, David Yardley. You have one minute. Thank you. 
Um, Short-term rentals actually is kind of an interesting subject um, from my work with Harbor Country Mission. We found that a lot of seniors can't afford their houses anymore, but if they could rent out a room in their home, they might actually be able to have enough revenue to keep it. And as long as we have zoning ordinances in place for garbage and noise and all those other things, we already have a lot of that addressed. Um, on top of that, Airbnb and VRBO, the two leading uh, short-term rental companies, already police their own um, hosts, I guess is the right term, um, with uh, ratings and whatnot, and they will take away the ability to host on those sites. So we need to look at it in a balanced way. Um, how can we help some of those people that Tess has talked about that are on the lower income scale still stay in their homes? I mean, there's a lot of older people in this audience, and I'm getting to be one of those older people myself, that, you know, it gets harder. As inflation is going higher and higher, we need to find alternatives. Thank you. Next up, Brooke Thomas. Brooke, you have one minute. Thank you. I have attended many meetings on this very topic, both within the city and with uh, other municipalities around the county. Um, it's a very hot topic. The main theme is that we all need to keep that local control because there's a lot of um, talk about the state taking that control and doing things with that legislation. Um, on one hand, if you have too many, you lose your residential population. If you restrict it altogether, that's illegal, so you have to find that sweet spot that's right in the middle. Um, one of the things that I like the sound of is putting it in a place, putting short-term rentals in a place that makes sense, such as in your business or commercial areas, just like any other business. Um, it seems to make sense for both the residents and the tourists. Um, so I'm happy to keep looking at the issue and figuring out what makes sense for our city. Thank you. Next up, Michael Fernandez. You have one minute. To echo some of the comments made before, I think the key is you know local control and all communities having you know the ability to set their regulations, and so making sure that that remains at the local level, so that St. Joseph can do what makes sense for St. Joseph, and other communities can do that. Uh, you know, I will always support local control of this issue, and and here specifically in St. Joseph, I think we have done a nice job of finding what works and what that balance level is between having some short-term rentals. Um, you know, to allow for that tourism industry, but uh, focusing on keeping those to zones. And I think it's worked very well for us, so. Thank you. And lastly, for this question, Sean Osborne, you have one minute. Thank you. Uh, like everybody else said, it's, it's an extremely hot topic and, and with a lot of mixed emotion. Um, I feel that if it, you, you invest into a home, you wanna, you wanna use it as a rental, uh, that, that's your business, you should be able to do with it pretty much whatever you want to within reason. Um, I do also agree that we should have designated areas for these short-term rentals versus long-term rentals so we don't see that the, the city becomes overpopulated with short-term rentals versus long-term rentals or people leaving the area because they can get more for their home, move out of the area, and then it becomes a short-term rental. Um, I believe that should all be dictated within the city. We should be able to have control over that and know who these short-term rentals are, how to contact these people. As long as they take care of their properties, they're well-maintained, the visitors obey by the law, I don't have a problem with it. Thank you. Arthur? Adjacent to short-term rentals is the topic of tourism. Despite tourism being a key economic driver for our region, there are some residents who believe St. Joseph already sees too many visitors as it is. As a commissioner, what would your response to these residents be? Would you like to see St. Joseph capture more of the growing tourism market, or do you believe, do you also believe we're already at capacity? Yeah, the first person that has a chance to answer that question is Michael Fernandez. Michael, you have one minute. 
You know, I think uh, we have a beautiful community, and personally, I, I want us to see. I want to see us show it off. You know, I welcome you know tourism. They bring a lot to our area, um, and I think we need to just keep an eye and make sure that we're balancing and taking care of the needs of those of us that live here full time. But by no means are the two exclusive. I think the two work together by welcoming in the tourists and finding ways to integrate them seamlessly, especially during the, the seasonal times that they are visiting. Uh, we can really enhance our community, and make it better year round. So the, the two go together. It's not one or the other. Thank you. Next up, Brooke Thomas, you have one minute. Thank you. We do have a lot of tourism in the summer months. Um, what I would like to see is a lot more tourism in those off seasons. So I know that St. Joe Today puts on a lot of events throughout the year. One of the things that I really like seeing is the uh, ice festival that we have. Um, it's such a fun event to um, show off what we have in the winter. I know a lot of people shy away from the winter, but there's so many communities up north that really embrace the cold and they have the beer tents and they have the fire pits and everything and I think it's something that we could do to really celebrate the winter months that we have here and then that way not only are we giving our residents something more to do in those cold months but uh, we are bringing more business to our local businesses so everybody wins that way and then the issue of parking and everything like that isn't as bad because you're bringing in that tourism in the off season when there's plenty of parking um, wherever you go in the city. Thank you. Next up for this question David Yardley. David you have one minute. Thank you. Tourism, as with any you know, brick-and-mortar type normal business that's here year-round, it's a balance. I mean, we shouldn't be um, trying to pick winners and losers within the uh, business community, within uh, the free market. But we do need to look at ways to develop more year-round businesses. I mean, we've got um, some great organizations that are doing that in the area with the Chambers specifically, Connexus, uh, the Lake Michigan College um, programs, and various other things. So we need to find ways that we could take what we have here to make it a year-round business as well. The tourism is always going to be here. I mean, that, that lake is beautiful. People want to come see it. They come and want to be on the beach and um, handle that. But on the, on the flip side, uh, we have, as again, with Harbor Country Mission, we see a lot of the homeless population, the, the request for food and uh, clothing and blankets. It's dramatically increasing. It's already increasing as we've had this little cold spell just in the last few days. So we do need to manage all of our activities. Thank you. And next up, Chris Lannert. Chris, you have one minute. Uh, thank you. Uh, well, this is one of those questions that's not uh, either or, it's, uh, it's both. Uh, we really have to find a uh, blending so that we can uh, satisfy uh, both sides of the uh, pendulum or the equation. Uh, you can't forget that we have a lake out here which is a premier destination. We're always going to attract people who are going to want to enjoy it much as we do on a daily basis. I think the thing that we need to do is to showcase in terms of our community the things that we have to offer for permanent residents and then use those vacationers and those uh, tourists to try and hook them into staying here a long time. Uh, certainly the uh, remote commuting has uh, you know, helped us, but I think that uh, if we could uh, encourage tourism because we need it for our businesses, but yet try and snare some of those uh, very tourists to live here full time and enjoy our schools, enjoy our park, enjoy the community that we all enjoy. Uh, we need to grow the pie in this community. Uh, we don't need to exclude people from the feast. Thank you. Next up, Sean Osborne. Sean, you have one minute. Thank you. We do live in one of the most beautiful cities in the state of Michigan. I've traveled all over the state and quite a few places within our own country. And this is just an amazing, amazing city. We, being that I was born and raised here and got to grow up here, I've seen tourism exponentially increase, which you want to see. Um, I, I'm getting mixed emotions from the, the residents of the city that say they can't get downtown during the summer because of the overabundance of visitors. But 
like we've talked, you know, like, like has been mentioned, I'm sorry, it, it's, it's a, it needs to be a blending. We've got to be able to attract people, keep people coming, but yet then research and look at ways that we can bring them in throughout the entire season instead of just the summer season. Um, there's many things that we can do, but we've got to, we've got to look at it as a whole. And, and yeah, I'll just leave it there. Okay, thank you. And lastly for this question, Tess Ulrey, you have one minute. Thank you. Um, I came to St. Joseph as a tourist and as a visitor. Um, my parents actually bought their retirement home here and then that's why we're here because it is that beautiful and we loved visiting it um, in the summertime. Um, so tourism definitely I think is, is, is something that we need to keep. When I hear that type of feedback, and especially as a commissioner, what I would be interested in hearing is a little bit more of the why and why that is frustrating people. Is it parking? Is it that they can't access some of the resources they need? Is it too hard to park at City Hall and pay a parking ticket? I'd be interested to dive more into the conversation of exactly what it is about, um, about that, ex that, that excessive tourism. Like a lot of the other candidates have said, I'd also love to continue supporting all of those awesome off-season activities that St. Joseph today does, as well as, other, as well as other community organizations. I think there's also ways for us to look at the people who live year-round, um, you know, downtown and here below the bluff, hear their concerns, and find ways to make sure that they are celebrated as year-round residents and make it more, uh, more accessible for them. Thank you. This is News Talk Sports, 94.9 WSJM, and we are hosting the 2023 St. Joseph City Commission Candidate Forum, if you're just joining us, along with the uh, Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber here at the Shadowland Ballroom. Uh, Arthur, what's our next question? Sure. Well, Tess provided a great segue because another frequent complaint that you'll likely hear as commissioners will be regarding parking, particularly in our downtown. This lack or perceived lack of parking has on multiple occasions prevented potential developments from moving forward. The question's pretty simple. Do you believe there's currently enough parking for residents and visitors in downtown St. Joseph? And what would your solution be to increasing turnover and availability? And the first person who has a chance to answer this is Brooke Thomas. Brooke, you have one minute. Thank you. This is a great question because I am on our parking committee for the city. Um, it's one thing that keeps coming up again and again is that there's not enough parking. What I've learned over time is that maybe it's not that there's not enough parking. It's where are people parking? What is the hot spots? So we ha are working with uh, a company who's helping us find the answers to that. Um, we're in the middle of the process and I'm learning a lot already just as far as, you know, how far are people willing to walk? How much do they want to pay? How much do they want to use their bikes to get to these different areas around town. Um, one of the things I would like to see is to try to use those micro transportation things such as bikes, um, maybe people want to rollerblade downtown, I don't know, but just getting those alternate methods to be creative instead of trying to shove more cars downtown, let's get people down there in different ways. Thank you. And next person to be able to answer this is Tess Ulry. Tess, you have one minute. Thank you. So. Um, in terms of is there enough parking, kind of like Brooke said, I'm not exactly sure about the answer, but it's good to hear that the city is diving into exactly what that is. I know from living and working downtown, it is extremely frustrating um, to need that place to park um, for work or for anything else. I think there's ways for us to think creatively to make sure that residents of St. Joseph have um, definitive parking, maybe, um, maybe, maybe that's a permit system, maybe it's special lots. I'm not exactly sure, but I do want to acknowledge that the residents need some access to that. I think there's also ways for us to um, in encourage more of that biking, more of that walking, and I'll use myself as an example. I actually walked down here from my house today too. So I think that the more we make that kind of um, that kind of thing accessible, the better it'll help alleviate some of the parking issues. Thank you. 
And next up, uh, Michael Fernandez. Michael, you have one minute. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good problem that so many people want to park here, um, but we only have so much space. So I think as a, as a commissioner, I would have to have an open ear, you know, as we hear proposals and, and things uh, come up and chances to develop the real estate that we have, you know, to build smarter parking solutions is one part of it. But also, you know, as, as, they, um, as Brooke and Tess mentioned, you know, looking into alternatives, you know, can we do more in the bikes? I think there's a great opportunity to look into, you know, even with neighboring communities to see about shuttle services and things like that. So I think all of that has to work together so that we can be smart with the space that we do have and find other ways to get people down here and yeah. thank you next up is david yardley david you have one minute thank you parking is always going to be an issue in the summer when we have so many tourists coming here but we need to look at as is there a parking problem in the winter not as much but when we do have uh, the increased tourism and whatnot, we do need to look at um, alternatives. Um, Tess outlined some, Brooks outlined some. Um, but I, I think Chris Lannard, I'm going to refer to him because he's probably, in my opinion, the, the most expert on uh, this particular subject on this panel up here. Um, and I hope he talks a little bit about what, uh, across the street, he has an idea for. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, we'll hear from Sean Osborne. Sean, you have one minute. Thank you. <clears throat> Growing up here, I, there's always been a parking issue downtown St. Joe, especially in the summer months. I mean, I remember when you couldn't park down there during the week from all the businesses. I've seen some great ideas, and it's a lot of frustration from a lot of the, 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 the full-time residents because the fact is they want to go downtown and they can't find a place to park. There's a lot of alternatives. Uh, a lot of them have been mentioned here. I wasn't going to uh, specific uh, point to a specific name, but I've seen a plan by Chris Lannard that just blows my mind. There, I welcome as a as a commissioner, I would welcome all our residents to to bring any and, and every idea to the to the commission, so we can look at these, research these ideas. There's there's solutions, um, and there's alternatives. There's a lot of things that we could look at to make it much better in those times, those peak travel times, those peak parking times. And I just think we just all need to work together, but I think we do have enough parking to an extent. Uh, it's, it's just we got to work with what we have. Thank you. And it's been mentioned multiple times, but we'll get to hear from Mr. Lannert now. Chris Lannert, you have one minute. Thank you. Uh, well, this will certainly take uh, more than uh, one minute. Uh, the Downtown Development Authority has been engaged in the parking problem and solution uh, and description uh, for the three years that I've been sitting on that committee. Uh, as Brooke mentioned, we hired Walker Consultants, a uh, firm out of the Chicagoland area that has a local uh, office to try and have give us the information to be able to make uh, informed decisions on. Uh, we are looking at all various uh, you know options. We really have more of a strategic allocation of parking because on some days there's parking and other days there's not parking. Uh, the city, as well as the DDA, has looked at uh, different types of 30-minute you know, parking, different places to improve parking. Uh, parking lot 12, which is the one uh, by the Catholic uh, you know, church uh, in school, is underway now. What we're trying to do is have our parking lots be attractive so that we can spread the parking out in terms of that strategic allocation and thereby disperse traffic and eliminate some of the problems that we have on those key days. Thank you. Arthur? <clears throat> The next few questions are a little bit longer and they will also focus on development, beginning with what should be done with the Curious Kids Museum. Following their disastrous fire, a public debate has ensued over what should happen with the property as well as who should own it. Curious Kids representatives, eyeing renovation and expansion, recently offered the city $500,000 for the building. The city countered with a contingency that included a first right of refusal provision to buy the building back if the museum operators ever changed course, leading to negotiations between the two parties to break down. 
There's also been a conversation about relocating the museum in its entirety into this very building. Uh, that has proved to be a non-starter so far. In your opinion, what should be done with the Curious Kids Museum? Is its current location optimal, or do you believe there could be a larger opportunity by relocating them elsewhere? And our first person that will answer this is Michael Fernandez. Michael, you have one minute. Yeah, I, um, I was disappointed that the negotiations broke down recently, but uh, you know, I think that uh, the Curious Kids Museum has, uh, you know, has the potential to continue to be a, a great asset. You know, prior to that fire, my wife and I used to take our children there all the time. You know, it's, it's a wonderful place, and I know it's attracted people for a lot of years. Um, I, I think it's a great location for it, and I, you know, again, I'm, I'm sad. I think it was a missed opportunity. They had uh, some great plans, um, and if in the future there's, you know, potential to renegotiate or anything, uh, I would be open to having those conversations. But I think the current location is, is great, and I think they have a long-term vision to enhance their operations and uh, continue to be a resource, and I, I want them in the city. So, thank you. Next up, Chris Lannard. Mr. Lannard, you have one minute. Uh, wow, uh, again, a difficult uh, question. Uh, I sat on the uh, committee uh, as the uh, Downtown Development Authority representative with the Cures Kids Museum in the city uh, to evaluate this question. Uh, we had uh, lots of uh, good uh, meetings. Uh, I think the uh, bottom line, uh, for particularly from the DDA's uh, position, is that the uh, location is really, really valuable uh, to us in terms of the downtown. Uh, we want to try and turn that into a, a tax base as opposed to a non-taxable entity. Uh, we had a number of good conversations and the Downtown Development Authority did uh, agree with the city to sell the building uh, for $500,000 uh, if in fact there were some contingencies uh, for the protection of both parties. Uh, ultimately the Curious Kids decided not to uh, to do that. Uh, I think that they will continue to operate it uh, you know, properly, uh, but I don't think that the uh, final Song hasn't been written on that yet. Thank you. Next up is Tess Ulrey. Tess, you have one minute. Thank you. I was um, I, I followed this pretty closely when it was coming back and forth to City Commission. Obviously, as a parent in St. Joe, the Curious Kids Museum is kind of an, kind of an integral part of that. Um, it was disappointing to hear that those communications um, broke down. I especially understand why the city would want first right of refusal in in bringing that in in buying it back and having the ability to turn that into a different um, into a different space. Right now, I'm not sure if I have a specific answer on this. I'd love, to, I'd love to hear more about it. I like the idea of relocating it, especially as parking is a challenge, and that's a prime spot that we can talk about. But I think that there's more to be, there's more to be discussed there. Thank you. And next up is Sean Osborne. <clears throat> Sean, you have one minute. Thank you. I, I, too, again, was very disappointed that the negotiations broke down. It's a great attraction to the downtown area, especially for our kids. Uh, my oldest worked there in high school, which was always really neat, and, and uh, it was disappointing. It was upsetting to hear about the fire. That was just heartbreaking. I, don't, I haven't really followed this real, real close here lately. I'm starting to kind of get up to speed with it. Uh, Besides the fact that the negotiations broke down, I'd like to know more, I'd like to research more, hear more, and I'd like to open that line of communication back up with Curious Kids to find out what exactly they would like to do down here by moving it down the hill. That could even help with some of our parking issues, uh, bringing that attraction down here. I, I just need to know more before I can really give you a comprehensive answer to that question. Thank you. Next up, David Yardley, you have one minute. Thank you. 
Um, I do think what uh, the city came up with, at least for the, the purchase price, was reasonable. Um, obviously, Curious Kids is a valuable asset to our community and what they've done. I used to take my boys there before uh, they graduated from St. Joe High School and went on to Western Michigan University. Uh, it's one of those things, though, the contingency plan or the contingency <laughs> offer that the city put on it was that they could buy it back basically for the same amount. But the Curious Kids Museum is planning on putting millions of dollars of improvements into that so for a right of refusal and whatnot I mean, we're not going to be able to buy it back for millions of dollars so I say uh, let's sell it to them and let them decide what it's going to be and we'll you know if somebody wants to buy that property if they decide to move at a future date then we can do that and leave that up to the private sector thank you thank you and lastly for this question Brooke Thomas Brooke you have one minute Thank you. I was also on this committee, so over the past year or so, I've been following this very issue very closely. Um, from my point of view, I don't think that negotiations broke down. I think we followed a process that we needed to follow. Um, the building was never for sale, and we had to have a conversation about what made sense for both sides. Um, and I think we did a very good job of exhausting all avenues. Does this make sense for the city? Does it make sense for the Curious Kids Museum? And at this point in time, we discovered it wasn't making sense, so the only thing that happened was that we put that on hold for the time being and I know that the city would be happy to uh, relook at the issue if it ever needed to come up again um, but again I think that the process worked we did what we needed to do to do to see if it made sense for both sides and we had a lot of um, um, productive conversations on both sides of the aisle thank you Arthur a similar debate has played out regarding the future of Tiscornia Park aside from its current parking area and picnic pavilion the park has largely remained unchanged from its natural form making it a quieter option for beachgoers bird watchers and the like an initial proposal from the city's parks advisory board recommended a larger parking lot a new higher capacity gathering pavilion a maintenance shed a paved nature path and an area for food trucks dozens of citizens testified in opposition to these upgrades saying it would change the character of the park which led to a revised master plan recommendation adopted just last night as i understand it that only included ADA parking spaces, an ADA match, uh, mat to the beach, restroom improvements, and a new picnic area. Do you agree with the pared down approach? Uh, and in your opinion, what upgrades, if any, should occur occur at Tisconia Park? Yeah, the first person that has a chance to answer this is Sean Osborne. Sean, you have <clears throat> one minute. Thank you. For I was fortunate enough to be at the commission meeting last night when this was a very hot topic for a lot of the residents that live down there. I have to wholeheartedly agree with them that I grew up going to that beach. My, my stepdad took us there growing up. It's a beautiful beach. It, it's very natural. And some of the proposed uh, items on the master plan, I think we're a little too, too far. Uh, I believe that as commissioners, we need to live, uh, I'm sorry, <clears throat> listen to the, the, the citizens, especially the people that live near the beach. Uh, I would use the resources as it comes up. Uh, to maintain, repair and maintain, become ADA compliant uh, and, and repair as needed. Uh, and then maybe if there's something down the road, uh, we can readdress it at that point. But I, I, with the, I'm with the residents of Tiscornia that we just need to maintain it and, and take care of it as need be and not, not go crazy. Thank you. Next up is David Yardley. David, you have one minute. Thank you. When the property was deeded to the city to be used as a beach, the Warren family wanted it set as a specific quiet beach, just like it is now. And I agree with that. I think we should maintain it as it was intended. Um, the expansion plans that were proposed were overkill by a ton. Um, and I think we need to do like uh, Mr. Um, 
Osborne said is, you know, we need to work with the, the residents there. We need to preserve a certain history um, to this city um, for the residents. I mean, the Silver Beach is a county-run, you know, park. That could be the tourist destination, and we keep uh, more of uh, Tuscorny as for our residents, our, our community beach, if you will. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Tess Ulrey. Tess, you have one minute. Thank you. Um, I love Tuscornia Beach for exactly those reasons as well. And so personally, I'm glad that um, the improvements that were made, or I apologize, that the, the plan that was approved um, was minimal. I think it's great that we put that, that we ha that we're going to be having that mat that comes in, as well as some of that, and so, as well as some of that ADA parking. I think that we have to acknowledge and kind of celebrate our commissioners for really listening to the residents. Um, those big master plans are exciting, but I think the commissioners really honored the people of St. Joe when they when they made that decision and, and approved the pared down one. The only other recommendation that I think I would really ever want to consider is if there's any additional safety measures that can be made, um, any life-saving equipment. We all know how um, how dangerous the end of the pier can get, but I think that's a separate conversation. Thank you. Next up is Michael Fernandez. Michael, you have one minute. Yeah, having been having been at present at that meeting last night, um, I was really satisfied with how I saw that process playing out last night. Uh, the plans were presented, and as as mentioned, uh, there was a lot of feedback. And at the conclusion of that meeting, you know, the the plans changed. You know, the feedback was taken from the public, uh, and, the, and the plans were modified in in a way that was less you know obtrusive. There was less done at the end of the night, uh, you know, versus what was proposed at the beginning. And I think that's consistent with what we want. You know, we want a very natural you know beach at that location. So I'm very happy with where we ended up. Uh, you know, I think it's important to note you know some of the the changes that are being proposed. You know, do have to do with uh, you know the maintenance. Uh, you know, and some of the equipment that park staff wants uh, to have there in order to keep the beach clean and, and beautiful um, you know so but very minimal uh, touching of the natural beauty and I'm, I'm very happy with how last night went thank you next up is Brooke Thomas Brooke you have one minute thank you I also was at the meeting as well um, as commissioner obviously um, and I, I do think that the process worked we have a um, parks board and we have resident input and we all came together and though it was emotional it was an opportunity for everybody to voice their point of view um, so I appreciated watching that process work out um, as far as the improvements obviously I want to all of our parks to be accessible to all people so those ADA uh, adjustments are must they need to be there um, as well as safety issues and those kinds of concerns um, another thing that's really important is looking to our future the things that we have in place they're going to deteriorate over time they're going to fall apart so we just need to have that plan in place to make sure that once those things happen we have those plans approved so that we can put these new fresh amenities in to make sure that our parks stay nice for centuries to come thank you and lastly uh, Chris Lannert you have one minute uh, it probably won't take a whole minute uh, I agree with uh, exactly what uh, Brooke said uh, many people didn't realize that this was a master plan for Tiscornia Park it was not a redevelopment plan for Tiscornia Park uh, the Parks uh, Department, the Park uh, Board, as well as the city staff and the uh, committee last night did a uh, yeoman's job of satisfying all of the players. This is a process that has worked. I think it worked well for the city. Uh, the most important thing is that there are elements so within the master plan which will allow us to apply for grants in the future. And when and if those grants are obtained, then the final discussion of what will happen and what the character will be uh, will be uh, discussed. And again, a great example of how this community does work uh, protecting our parks and listening to our citizens and the volunteer efforts we have by many uh, volunteers that spend endless time on these ideas. Thank you. Speaking of grants, 
The city recently received a land and water conservation fund grant in the amount of $345,000, as well as a $100,000 donation from the Parks Foundation for the construction of a restroom and pump house at Whirlpool Centennial Park. The project was initially estimated to cost a total of $690,000. However, the lowest bid received for the project was $1.7 million, more than double what was expected. If the commission delays too long in accepting a bid, it loses the grant funding. So instead, they've opted to spend a, an additional $40,000 to redesign the project in an attempt to bring the price down. This redesign would, of course, result in a dramatically different installation. As a commissioner, would you have approached or handled this situation differently? Is the temptation of the grant worth the total investment or the revised vision? Yeah, the first person has a chance to answer this is David Yardley. David, you have one minute. Um, I haven't been as um, up on this particular issue as I should have been um, with regards to the question. However, I do believe that it should have been handled a lot differently. Basically, anytime you want to do an improvement, you want to know up front what the cost is going to be, what the availability of the resources are going to be. I mean, you know, it's not that if you build it, they will come. That doesn't always work. Um, so we need to look, um, take a step back, and I think probably um, not proceed with this particular project as a revised one. If we truly need that pump house, then we need to look at different alternatives, different grant opportunities, and other means of uh, making that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Sean Osborne. You have one minute. Thank you. <clears throat> I just learned about this project uh, not that long ago. So I was at the commission meeting when they approved the $40,500 expenditure to research different ways to build this or, or complete this project. I understand that when the, the original bidding process went out, you know, that was pre-pandemic. We had the pandemic costs it just skyrocketed through the roof, as we all know. We need to take a step back. I agree with Mr. Yardley. We need to take a step back. If we happen to lose that grant, could we reapply for that grant? These are questions I don't have an answer to. Um, I was so, I had to process the whole thing that night, so I really didn't get a chance to get up and ask. But I would like to research, if we lose a grant, could we go back and reapply for the grant at a later time? Does the city, can the city afford that additional expenditure after what we've received? Thank you. Next up, Michael Fernandez, you have one minute. Yeah, I think this is where it, uh, you know, it gets difficult. You know, there's things that you will want to do and things that, uh, you know, you just simply can't uh, afford to do. And so I think, uh, you know, this is an example of, uh, you know, we have great plans, you know, but, but can we do it? You know, uh, that's a, that was a large, you know, number to be surprised, you know, for that to be quoted so high, uh, you know, and that to come up. So uh, we, we won't always be able to do all the projects that we intend. I think it's it's a reasonable step to try to reevaluate and see is there any way that we can potentially make some of this work still. I think that's a reasonable step to take, you know, but uh, ultimately, you know, the we, we work with the information that's available to us and the resources that we have. And so, um, yeah. thank you. Next up, Brooke Thomas. Brooke, you have one minute. Thank you. One of the themes that I've noticed over my past two years on this commission is that everything costs more than you thought it was when you started the project, which has been quite frustrating um, for the staff and for the commission to have to make these very difficult decisions, especially when a grant comes into play. Um, I think that this rethinking of things is really important for us to do. We had a plan in place that had all the fancy stuff, 
doing this expenditure of $40,000 to rethink it and maybe cut off some of these bells and whistles is really important because in the long run, we are going to save the city a lot of money by doing that. Um, but maybe we can still make those improvements and still get either under the budget or close to the budget somewhere in that ballpark so that we can still have nice amenities here that we have in our master plan and have planned to do. Thank you. Next up is Chris Lannert. You have one minute. Well, another hot button of uh, mine, uh, uh, this whole thing is silly. I mean, can you imagine spending $1.7 million on a 20 by 40 structure uh, just across the field over here? I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with the philosophy. There's nothing wrong with trying to figure out a better way to maintain the pumps. There's a whole bunch of things, but, but we're chasing a horse we're not going to catch. And to spend another $40,000 with the same program to try and come in with a building that we can build for six or $700,000 with a $300,000 grant, and then we only have to spend $300,000 of our money on an 800 square foot building we're chasing the wrong project so I uh, I think it should be rethought from the beginning and look at what the program uh, that we're trying to attain and the purposes for why we started it a number of years ago so I'm sorry about that but um, I think it's a silly approach thank you and lastly for this is Tess Ulrey Tess you have one minute Thank you. I spend a lot of time in the grant space um, in, my, in, in, in my role with the Boys and Girls Club, and so I understand how some of these things have far more nuance than, than, than are presented right up front. I do believe the city made a good choice in saying that they would spend that $40,000 to revisit it, and I think they absolutely made the right choice in not committing to that $1.7 million right off the bat. I see the value that that'll bring, and I think $40,000 is worth it to revisit it, but I'm looking forward to the conversations after that money is spent to see how we can get up to that grant funding. Thank you. This is News Talk Sports, 94.9 WSJM, Benton Harbor, St. Joseph, and we are here in St. Joseph for the 2023 St. Joseph City Commission Candidate Forum, hosted in partnership with the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber. We've covered quite a lot, uh, so if you're just joining us, you can always check out the podcast at WSJM.com and the video later on as well. Arthur, what's the next question? Okay, candidates, if you thought the last three were controversial topics, this might be the, uh, the most controversial of the bunch. The future of the county courthouse and jail has also proven to be just that, controversial. Both are in need of dire upgrades and estimates have indicated that it might be more cost effective and potentially safer to relocate both to Benton Township. While this would open up a historic redevelopment opportunity on prime riverfront property for the city of St. Joe, it would also mean changing the county seat and potentially altering the current ecosystem of attorneys and court employees who work and eat downtown every day. While these are ultimately county properties, should the city take the position that the courthouse and jail should remain where they are, or do you believe there is a greater economic opportunity for the city if it were to redevelop these properties and spur growth on the east side of Maine? And the first person that has a chance to answer this is Chris Lanner. Mr. Lanner, you have one minute. Gee, this is, <laughs> oh boy, what a, what, a, what a great question that is. Um, the, the difficulty for me is that uh, the people who work in the uh, courthouse, uh, those, that staff, uh, that uh, um, job generator uh, really helps our downtown during the uh, days when we don't have the uh, tourists. So we have to be very careful from an economic standpoint uh, what happens with the courthouse. I'm not so much uh, married uh, to the uh, to the jail, but there are some facilities that blend between the courthouse and the jail. Uh, we did have that episode a couple of uh, years ago where you can see uh, how some of those difficulties uh, come in. But I'm also aware of the fact that uh, when that property was originally uh, granted to the uh, the city, there might be some open space uh, requirements that would preclude it from being 
seen any kind of sizable economic development as it relates to just moving those facilities for the sake of trying to find development. So uh, I think there's a deed restriction that precludes that from being development land, not open space land. Thank you. Next up is Tess Ulrey. Tess, you have one minute. Thank you. Um, my, my initial thoughts when I hear about the idea of relocating that is that that really is an amazing space that we could use here in, um, here in downtown St. Joe for all of those amazing development opportunities. Um, relocating, relocating the courthouse and the jail and even to a new, a, a new and better facility I think would maybe serve some of those employees as well as some of the individuals utilizing those services much better. I understand the economic impacts of it, but when, at the same time, we're having conversations about how we don't have enough parking downtown and we want more space for businesses. That seems like a logical step. Um, that seems like a logical step. Thank you. And next up will be uh, Sean Osborne. Sean, you have one minute. Thank you. So I have only heard rumors of this. I'm, I'm not really up to speed on what's going on. I've just heard the, the rumors going around that it's even being talked about. That, that Sheriff's Department courthouse, that's always been there. It, it, to me, it's a staple of St. Joe. I like the fact that our sheriff's department's right there. I don't know if there's talks about taking the road deputies and everything or if it's just the jail. I would rather see if we can't work with the county to, to see what we can do as a city to keep that there. Not only is it the employees, the, the people that you know live in this community that work there, I like having that extra police there. We've got the sheriff's deputies. We got some of the best police that you could ever ask for in this community: Central City, Central Township, Lincoln Township. I would hate to see them move farther out. Sorry about that. I'd hate to see them out with a with a it, it increased response times. So I would rather keep them here, as you know, best we can. Thank you. Next up is Michael Fernandez. Michael, you have one minute. The, the jail and the courthouse, you know, they serve more than just St. Joseph. And I think that if there's an opportunity to improve, you know, our facilities and, uh, and the future of, you know, the courthouse and, uh, and the jail uh, so that we can have better facilities, more efficient, you know, whatever the challenges that those facilities are currently facing, if we can make those things better, that's, that's beyond just St. Joe. And with that, it, it brings an opportunity to, you know, it brings a moment of, well, what do we do with this space now if the, if the county, you know, decides to move the jail and the courthouse? Um, you know, that will be, you know, a lot of collaboration and opportunity to collaborate, you know, with the county as, you know, they figure out their new plan for the courthouse and the jail. Uh, and then a challenge for us, you know, to figure out what do we do with this new space to develop. But, uh, you know, if it can be an improvement to the facilities of the courthouse and the jail that we, you know, have, uh, those, are, those are beyond just St. Joe needs. Those serve the whole county, and I would support that. Thank you. Next up is David Yardley. David, you have one minute. Thank you. Uh, one of the things that we do have to look at, this is a county decision more so than it is a St. Joe City Commission decision. So obviously we need to leave it up to our county commissioners. We should be communicating with them um, through um, our, our main county commissioner here, Rayante Bell. Um, and I think we need to have better communication through him and the other commissioners on this. However, we do have the undersheriff, uh, Chuck Height here, and I, I would direct all questions to the, the sheriff's department to Chuck. So make sure you nail Chuck before he leaves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, it, I mean, obviously, if they do move, it's an opportunity for us. I mean, obviously, there's a huge parking lot there that would solve a lot of parking issues for the summer. Um, but at the same time, the building's going to need to be, you know, re refurbished and reutilized if possible. Um, there is a lot of issues with the county um, buildings, um, especially those that those two in particular <laughs> as being very old. So we do need to look at that. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And lastly for this one, Brooke Thomas, you have one minute. 
Thank you. I obviously want to do what makes the most sense for everybody in our whole community, in our whole county. Um, so I would definitely want to learn more about what that option is. Uh, I would hate to see them leave because I do like having um, all the employees and staff at the courthouse and I do frequently courthouse for my job. So selfishly, I would hate for it to move further away from where I live. But um, ultimately, I, I really love the idea of St. Joe being a leader in our whole community and having all those leaders here locally. Uh, it's just something that I, I really like having here in St. Joe. Thank you. Arthur? This one's a little bit easier. The City of St. Joseph is roughly a $30 million enterprise and as Commissioner you'll be entrusted with the financial stewardship of these funds. What specific experiences or credentials qualify you to manage these funds on behalf of city residents? First up on this question is Tess Olry. Tess, you have one minute. Thank you. So currently um, I'm a, I'm a lifelong nonprofit employee, so I understand city is a little bit different, but a lot of aspects of that line up pretty closely. Right now, um, I do work in resource development for the Boys and Girls Club. We have a $6 million operating budget. Um, outside of that, I also serve on community boards, and I'm used to financial oversight in that capacity as well. I haven't managed anything close to the size of $30 million, um, but I'm absolutely ready to learn and have the foundation to do so. Thank you. And next up is Sean Osborne. Sean, you have one minute. Thank you. So in my past, I have worked in multiple areas that I've had to deal with the budget. The largest being that with the, the wireless carrier that I worked for, I had more than a $30 million a year budget that we had very strict guidelines to go by. Now, anybody that knows me knows I love to spend money. I like to spend my money. I am very fiscally conservative when it comes to spending other people's money, especially taxpayers' money. I want to know that every dime is put to good use and to, for the betterment of our, our residents. Um, Working in the small business community, I, I, I see the struggles and, and I've helped work with financial situations and those, but the, the biggest one I have to go off of is the, the, the network that I worked when, you know, we had a, a massive budget. Uh, people don't understand what it cost to build that stuff, but we had very stringent, tight guidelines and we had to, we had to meet our, our expectations or we didn't get the money. Thank you. Could I have you move your microphone just a little closer to you? Just you, Mr. Osborne, just move it a little closer to you next time. Um, next up is Brooke Thomas. Brooke, you have one minute. Thank you. I think we had the same question two years ago, and now I can say I have two years' experience as city commissioner overseeing a budget, so uh, I'm thankful for that experience. Um, you don't have to be an expert on how to put together a budget. You just have to have trust in the staff that you have doing those things. And from my point of view, I do have trust in our staff. They do an excellent job of putting that together and explaining every question that I have. And I think that's one of the important things as a commissioner is that you ask the right questions um, and you don't stop asking until you get the answers that you're looking for. Uh, and that way you have the trust in the process. Um, outside of being commissioner, I've also served on various uh, nonprofit boards as well, so um, that kind of gives me a different perspective of something uh, outside of city government uh, to kind of compare and contrast those two experiences. Thank you. Next up is David Yardley. David, you have one minute. All right, thank you. Um, having worked for the state of Michigan, um, as I currently do with uh, Senator Jonathan Lindsay and previous work there, I've seen an oversight um, responsibilities from the legislative angle over the whole state of Michigan budget. So, you know, I've had to learn how that all works and, you know, it, it does pretty much relate to uh, city government. So um, beyond that, I've had a lot of management experience in running nonprofits and um, political committees and other nonprofit entities and foundations um, throughout my years in working with Chambers of Commerce and others. So thank you. Thank you. Next is Michael Fernandez. You have one minute. 
Yeah, I've had some uh, personal and professional experiences that I think have prepared me, you know, for, um, you know, being responsible for the budget. Uh, professionally, I've worked for financial institutions, you know, where I was responsible for managing the operations budget, um, you know, and managing the money within the branch. I was a branch manager. Um, I've also uh, had experience with uh, political fundraising and, uh, and accounting compliance. You know, I serve as a finance director for our state representative. Uh, and those experiences, I think, have, have prepared me. You know, on top of that, uh, I'm also the, uh, for St. Joe Rocket Football, I'm their fundraising uh, chair. Uh, and those things, you know, in addition to utilizing the city staff uh, to give me the information that I don't have and answer the questions that I will have, uh, th those things will prepare me for this. Thank you. And lastly, for this question, uh, Chris Lanner, you have one minute. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm kind of a uh, value-added uh, type of guy, so I think that while you have to uh, watch uh, what you're paying for, you also have to simultaneously uh, watch where your revenues are coming from. Uh, I have uh, been watching closely the kinds of things that the city's doing, as I mentioned uh, earlier in one of my uh, questions or one of my answers, is that uh, while the staff does do a very good job of budgeting and while the capital improvement uh, program that we have uh, is adequate and uh, well thought out, I think there's a little bit of uh, too much of the silo uh, mentality that I mentioned before. Uh, where we could have uh, more liaisons uh, between our various departments and uh, spend the same dollar and get uh, twice the value out of it. Uh, so I would uh, use my experience uh, to help uh, allocate the budget of, along the lines of what has been done in the past, uh, not trying to make any wholesale changes, but again, trying to build value and double up on some things and not spend our dollars twice as we've done that a couple of times. Thank you. Arthur? In recent years, there's been a growing concern regarding the availability of affordable housing. For example, the current median home price in the city of St. Joseph is $285,000, which represents a 4.6% increase just from this time last year. This, as you know, leaves many members of our community struggling to find housing that fits within their budget. If elected to the city commission, what specific policies or initiatives do you propose to address the housing crisis in our community? And how do you plan to ensure that these efforts are effective and equitable for residents of all income levels? First person has a chance to answer that is Michael Fernandez. You have one minute. I would look for us to, you know, revisit the ordinances and see, you know, is there anything in the ordinances that allows us to, you know, build more housing in, in other areas, uh, look for opportunities as they arise, you know, from partners in the community that want to build more housing or modify existing assets to, to make more housing. Um, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the housing prices have skyrocketed and, and there's a real possibility that I, I wouldn't have been able to afford my home to live in the city today had I not bought it several years ago. It's, it's a real challenge and I think it's one that we need to tackle head on and find ways to make more houses and, uh, and find ways to make it easier for families to afford to, to move here and live here. So, thank you. Next up, Tess Olry, you have one minute. Thank you. So this um, this topic is near and dear to my heart. Like I mentioned, I have rent. I, I am a renter. I will probably always be a renter as well. Um, when I consider what affordable housing means in the city of St. Joe, um, I think it's very nuanced. I think we need to support those um, those homeowners who are willing to rent, and we need to think creatively about how we can support them so they in turn can rent to people like me. I'm a single parent of two little girls in the school system, and I think it's important for me to be able to live in the city too. I also, like Michael said, I think it's important for us to revisit some of those ordinances and zoning. Um, when I lived in Precinct 1, I actually lived right next door to City Hall up above the Bertuca Insurance Building. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for creative apartments and spaces there if we really get together and start thinking about it. I think this also, of course, loops back to that conversation we're having about short-term rentals and just maintaining, um, maintaining a good vision as a community of how we can keep people here year-round as well. So I look forward to working on this a lot. 
Thank you. Next up, Brooke Thomas, you have one minute. Thank you. Um, this is a big problem. Um, like you said, the, the housing prices are high and the median household income in St. Joe is $60,000 and that's for the whole house, household, not just per person. Um, so obviously that's a problem for people who want to purchase in the city. They can't afford it. Um, one of the classes and trainings that I took was about affordable housing and how you can tweak your zoning and ordinances to meet those needs. Um, getting creative as far as maybe adjusting lot coverage or different lot lines and things like that. So that you can maybe put some smaller homes in that are a little bit more affordable to people with lower incomes. Um, and I think that's something that the city is looking into and open to looking at more deeply, and that's something I would support as a commissioner. Thank you. Next up is David Yardley. You have one minute. Thank you. Affordable housing is something that I've been dealing with a lot through Harbor Country Mission. Um, in looking at the county and obviously specifically St. Joe, we have a lot of homeless people in this county. People don't realize it, but it's true. We do. And, um, you know, and part of that is, is they can't find the housing that they need. Um, zoning is the number one way that we as a city can affect that um, by changing lot sizes, changing house sizes. Um, tiny homes and various other things are one way to approach that. But we need to work with our business community and the developers that are out there to make sure that we look at ways of cutting costs for the requirements that they need to meet um, as they're producing new housing and new um, developments in our area. So we need to, you know, again, this is back to that communication with the businesses within our area, and we need to make sure that we do that properly. Thank you. Thank you. Next up is Chris Lanner. You have one minute. Uh, thank you. Uh, this uh, is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I've probably uh, developed thousands and thousands of acres and thousands and thousands of units throughout the uh, Midwest and the, uh, the country. Uh, it's an issue that uh, is touched by all the people that have uh, previously mentioned things. It's code, it's ordinances, it's responsibility, it's, uh, it's a willingness to try things new. It's uh, new techniques, new technologies uh, that are coming out. Uh, uh, Brooke mentioned uh, accessible dwelling units uh, where you actually can build a small cottage behind your property and uh, run it as affordable housing either for yourself and or for uh, a uh, renter. Uh, those are kinds of things that are very difficult to get done within the community structure that most communities have. It's hard to change your ordinances. The average age of most people on most plan commissions uh, tends to be more on my side than on Brooke's side, and so it's difficult for people to realize that someone might want less than what their dream was, uh, but it's absolutely a topic that's near and dear to my heart, Thank and you. I have some solutions. Thank you. And lastly is Sean Osborne. You Thank have you. one minute. <clears throat> this is kind of a double-edged sword. <clears throat> as, a, as a homeowner, I've enjoyed watching my property go up in value, but as a, we, we, we were looking at moving, my wife and I, and the cost of living with the influx of everybody that has wanted to come here and enjoy this great city with us has keeping our, our kept, keeping, I can't even talk tonight, kept our values up and in fact increased it exponentially. I'm no expert in real estate or land development. I would look to Chris Lannert for advice or you know, uh, more data to support that. I mean, I, I'm all for affordable housing. I don't want to have things crammed in on top of one another, but yet we do have that issue of homeless. We have the issues of affordable housing where people can't afford, uh, you know, to some extent we're almost pricing ourselves out of homes uh, due to those high costs. So there's a lot that can be done. We just have to take a hard look at it. Thank you. Arthur? Candidates are Next question is going to focus on a major topic of conversation over the past year, and that's population growth. 
Michigan has had the second slowest growth rate in the nation since 1990, and as a result of our stagnation, several states have surpassed us in terms of total population. Berrien County has not fared much better. Our county's population has declined by over 3,700 residents since 2010 alone, and the city of St. Joseph accounted for about 600 of those residents. Fewer residents, as you know, means fewer available workers, fewer customers, fewer students, and less tax revenue for our communities. So the question is this, what is keeping our area from growing population, and what do you intend to do as a city commissioner to reverse our decline? And first person to answer this is Brooke Thomas. Brooke, you have one minute. One thing that I think the city is starting to do, and I want to promote more of this, is making our area more attractable, attractive to multiple um, different backgrounds of people, whether it's different age groups, different genders, different socioeconomic status. So let's do things in our city that's going to appeal to all people. Um, we need to get things like the public space activation going that we're going to attract younger people so that they can grow their families here and they want to come back here because it's a place that people want to come back home to. Um, you know, I hear a lot of my friends moving away from here because there's not enough to do or there's not enough people to meet. So if we can make this attractive to our younger populations, they want to come home I think that would be one solution um, and I would be open to looking at working with other businesses to make more of those public activation spaces and things that are attractive to those younger populations thank you and next up is Sean Osborne you have one minute <clears throat> thank you can you repeat the question please I've got so many things running through my head at the moment yeah in short what is keeping our area from growing population and what do you intend to do okay. as a city commissioner thank to you. reverse the decline so there's so much of this, I think, that, that goes to a state level, not necessarily a city or even a, a county level. Uh, I've, got, I've had uh, quite a few friends that have left. Uh, the job market has moved them out of this area. Uh, relatives have moved out of the area due to jobs or taxes. Um, this, is a, this is a really tough question that I don't necessarily have an answer to at the moment. I need to think about that. I know we need to attract younger people uh, that want to, you know, raise their families here like some of us have been able to but getting the cost down the property values are up it, it's a tough situation it's a tough call i don't really have a real good answer at this moment thank you next is david yardley you have one minute thank you well first we need to uh look to the leadership of arthur havlicek in the the chamber and uh, and other um entities throughout our county and throughout our area um, lake michigan college and you know and the other um entities that we have like connexus to help find jobs for people and and uh, make sure that we have an ability to absorb um these individuals that we want to move to our community i mean it is a statewide problem it's a nationwide problem in a lot of areas um you know we have uh, auto workers striking and that's affecting um, a lot of um, the the feeder markets or the smaller manufacturers that supply them which is going to affect us here in a big way if this all continues so we need to look at economic development means that we could bring more businesses in um, to have the jobs to provide the housing and all those other things and uh, Arthur we look to you for leadership thank you thank, thank you. you next up is Chris Lanner you have one minute thank you 
Uh, well, you, you can't fight demographics. Uh, the whole country is looking at uh, losing uh, population. In a couple places, it's uh, shifting uh, back and forth. I think that uh, what we have to do here is continue to attract people to come to this area uh, because of the natural uh, amenities that we have, because of the great school uh, district uh, that we have, because of all the other amenities uh, that are incorporated uh, into what we call home. Uh, try and get those people to come here and then stay here. And then as we address that particular uh, aspect, then we have to get back into the affordable housing question that uh, just came uh, back up. But we have to grow a bigger pie in order to get a better tax base, in order to increase the population uh, and thereby pay more of our bills efficiently. Thank you. Next is Tess Ulrey. You have one minute. Thank you. I think that, um, like a lot of the other candidates have mentioned, this is a larger issue than, than just in St. Joe. But in some ways, that's a positive thing. Michigan keeps being ranked as one of the states that will be least affected by climate change, so we can look at that as a positive part about Michigan growth. And also, frankly, with the Michigan legislature flipping blue, that's going to make Michigan a more attractive place for us to be as well. Here locally, here locally in St. Joe, we have some things that I know that we can, I know that we can celebrate. I think that our school board here, especially as we look at what's happened with neighboring school um, school districts, has done an amazing job of keeping our district um, really forefront in forefront in the state. Like other people have mentioned too, of course this loops back to a conversation about affordable housing and keeping those events and other opportunities open for all. I think too, in St. Joseph, the more we do surrounding some of these diversity and, in and inclusion work um, that, the that the city commission has worked so hard on, that will continue to make St. Joseph in particular an attractive place for more and more people to move to. Thank you. And lastly for this question, Michael Fernandez, you have one minute. Yeah, I think a, a specific area of focus for me would be, you know, how can we attract young families to live here? When I think about my family, I'm, I'm raising them here, and, and my hope is that my children will grow here and maybe choose to live here too or move away and have their own adventures. But attracting families that have the potential to raise their children here. So how do we get those families here? You know, we talked about a couple of the things that we need to do. We need to find places for them to live. You know, that's one thing that we need to do to get them here. Uh, and then give them things to do. You know, we have great schools, you know, that can support their children's growth. We have, you know, opportunities to, you know, build new things that'll be, enable families to live, you know, full, rich lifestyles. Um, you know, giving people something to do once they're here and, and looking at our regulations, do our, our ordinances and everything, do they allow our citizens to live their fullest lives uh, so that we make sure that we're an attractive place? I, I, you know, I don't like hearing of you know, people not wanting to you know, move someplace that's too restricted, et cetera. So making sure that we're open to you know, families. Thank you. Arthur? Well, that concludes the question portion for tonight's forum, but each candidate will have one minute to conclude with a closing statement, and please try to include a factor that you believe uh, sets you apart from your opponents. Well, down the line from the other end of the table, David Yardley, you got one minute. Yeah, all right, thank you. First of all, I also want to thank um, everyone for coming out this evening. Um, it's, it's wonderful to see so many people that's interested in the future of our city, so thank you. Uh, I think I've talked a lot about um, Harbor Country Mission and uh, working for the state government. So I have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge um, regarding um, opportunities that have existed all over the state. I've visited um, so many cities and townships and villages throughout this state that I've seen a lot of things that we can apply here and utilizing my knowledge from my nonprofit background as also the political and my business background working with Chambers of Commerce. Um, actually, I, once upon a time, I worked for the, uh, the predecessor to the Southwest Michigan Chamber of Commerce as the Twin Cities um, Chamber. So I think that I bring a lot of experience and knowledge from a statewide perspective that would make a difference here and keep your taxes low um, and have more opportunities and more freedom to do with Thank what you. you want with your property. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Tess Ulrey? 
Thank you. Um, echoing Mr. Yardley, thank you all for being here and for being invested in this process. Um, local government isn't always exciting to everybody, but I think it's really amazing to see the turnout in a place like this. Um, reflecting on myself as a candidate, I think the strongest thing I can bring to City Commission is that I am, I am here in St. Joe for the long haul. I mentioned my two girls that are here. I'm committed to living here and in this community and making decisions that don't just benefit the next five years or the next 10 years, but realistically what this community can look like for them as they, as they grow um, and hopefully stay in St. Joe as well. So I think that for me, that focus on maintaining a, a relevant community for years to come will be a great one. Thank you. Thank you. Brooke Thomas. Thank you. Um, I think I've made it clear that I've been on the commission for two years now, and with this new election coming up, we are losing two people with a lot of experience on the commission, so that means we're only going to have um, three people with experience on the commission. So I think having even just two years of that experience makes me valuable. I've put in a lot of time and hours into attending various trainings, making connections with people both in and outside of our city, um, and I've learned so much over the past two years, and I have enjoyed every minute of it, and I want to continue doing this work. I I love serving our city in this capacity, and I think that being hardworking, open-minded, and eager to learn makes me an excellent candidate to continue in this position. Thank you. Sean Osborne? Well, I'd like to start off by thanking our hosts, and I'd like to thank everybody that's here. I, I, I see a lot of familiar faces and a lot of people I look forward to getting to know. Uh, as you can probably tell, I'm not a politician. I jumped into this at the last minute, so my, I was stumbling around a little bit. I have a lot to learn. Uh, I've worn a lot of hats in my life, uh, everywhere, you know, anything you could think of. So I, I like data, I like facts, and, and I like to make smart decisions, informed decisions. So with, with my entire background, uh, I just think that uh, in my desire to serve, I would like to be one of your city commissioners so I can do the, what's best for the city. Uh, for now and long term. I was born and raised here, raised two beautiful girls here, married my high school sweetheart. Um, I've been, I've moved away, I've come back, and, and it's just this city has brought me back. And so it's just, it's an honor to be here and I just want to thank everybody. Thank you. Chris Lanner. Uh, thank you. I want to echo what everyone else has said. Uh, thank you for all uh, being here. A big part of uh, my thought process in terms of wanting to serve is to uh, not only serve uh, for you, but serve with you. Uh, it's really nice to have uh, this many people in the audience. Uh, the uh, meeting last night was attended by lots of people. Local government works best when people participate. We need to have a forum whereby those people can participate. Uh, my whole pres professional career has been in planning and zoning and writing ordinances and comprehensive uh, plans, uh, you know, building uh, developments, uh, making uh, special places and things uh, like that. When I graduated uh, from St. Charles High School in 66, I didn't want to move away and never come back like many of my classmates. I always wanted to come back. I first moved here, and as I mentioned earlier, I started buying properties down in Lions Park Drive 25 years ago. Now I'm here. Uh, my mom, my sister, my kids, my grandkids all live here. Um, I want to be here. I'm going to contribute. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Fernandez. Yeah, I've, uh, this campaign has given me a great opportunity to learn about a lot more of my fellow citizens. And, uh, you know, I hope that I've given you all uh, an opportunity to learn more about what's important to me and, uh, and how I feel about things. You know, like I said, this, this community is where I am planning to raise my children, um, you know, and, and I'm committed to living here and, and being a part of making this place better um, and taking care of the things that we love the most about it. Uh, as, as your commissioner, you know, I, the last thing I'll leave you with is, you know, this is a responsibility to take care of the city for both myself and, and for you. It would be my duty to be your advocate. And so with me, uh, you will always have, you know, an, an open avenue to, to speak to me so that I can be your advocate. So I, I hope you'll give me that opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. 
And thank you as well to all of our candidates for being here and joining us this evening. Thank you again to Arthur Havlicek and the Southwest Michigan Regional Chamber for partnering with us for tonight's public service and make this public service possible. Uh, thank you to those who've been uh, following along with us on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM on our Facebook Live on WSJM.com and the WSJM app, as well as those who've been with us right here in person in the Shadowland Ballroom. And thank you again to Shadowland Ballroom for providing this great venue and to Silver Beach Pizza for delivering appetizers for the networking portion that's about to begin. Once again, I'm Johnny Reinhardt alongside Arthur Havlicek. Also, thanks to our wonderful engineering team, uh, Terry Green, Ken Lundberg on the, on the videos, and as well as Zach East. And thank you, everyone, and good night. Three minutes off. <laughs> it's fine. <clears throat> Yeah.